Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to our lovely guest, Suha, who is a qualified mindset and productivity coach, mashallah. But aside from that, she is also a mom. So mashallah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Wa alaikum salam. You know what? I'm so glad you accepted to speak come on and speak about such a sensitive you know topic that a lot of women shy away from but it's so necessary for us to be aware and to educate ourselves regarding uh such a topic that affects all of us women you know whether we want to become moms or not and that is you know if regarding fertility so jazakallah khair for that i appreciate uh you know your how open you are about this and you've shared a few times on your um instagram it's via some posts that i've read about this journey that uh wasn't an easy one for you in to become a mom and to conceive so i want to take you back to you know the beginning of when you got married and when you were trying to did you want to have children straight away how was it like for you so first off, even just you introducing me as a mum just brought me to tears because almost because it's just so surreal even now after struggling for so long hearing someone, uh, you know, refer to me as, as a mum. Uh, so what's interesting about your question is that I convinced myself that I didn't. I knew that I was going to have difficulty uh, conceiving way before I met my husband. I knew from about the age of 16. Um, mm. And uh, I met my husband when I was about 22. And on our second meeting, second or third meeting, I I said to him, it doesn't mean that I can't. It just means that it's, it's going to be difficult. So, you know, I want to be open and honest about that. Um, and of course, when I, my family also encouraged me to, to really uh, sort of explain that at the beginning as well. Uh, when we sort of first got married, I I think, as I said, I think I convinced myself, oh, I don't want children for a couple of years, but I was afraid to go down the path that I knew I would have had to go through uh, to, to enter into motherhood. So around a year into the marriage, uh, I had a very um, a serious conversation with a good friend of mine and she said, you know what, I know how much this has affected you even before marriage because you knew because it affects your identity as a woman, you know, you, mm. subhanAllah, you, it, it, there is so much about you as a human being that, that is shared in that experience. So she said, I think you should start, you know, the process now. Uh, and uh, yeah, it took, it took me a good seven years um, to, to, to conceive. Uh, alhamdulillah. Do you know, um, you were saying that how you knew prior to getting married, like in your teens, what was it like? Were you getting irregular periods? Was it, um, how did you get diagnosed with such a, such a thing? So I, um, I, I wasn't getting my period, uh, at all. Uh, so I went to the doctor and then I did, uh, get a period and then it went again. Um, and when I was 16, they put me on the pill. <laughs> Obviously, at that point, I was uneducated. They put me on the pill to regulate my cycle. But now, having being educated, I know that that was just a, a band aid solution. Yeah. Uh, so, for me, 
you know, going through all the tests and them telling me that I had PCOS um, and and quite severe PCOS at that uh, and insulin resistance. It it really uh, affected me in mentally, emotionally, physically, but but more so it. It was the beginning of the story that I created for myself, mm-hmm. right? That I'm infertile, right? I'm infertile. I'm going to struggle to have children. And sometimes I look back and I wonder now that I've been through the coaching process and I've addressed those underlying beliefs, alhamdulillah, which I wholeheartedly, by the will of Allah, believe uh, what led me to, to alhamdulillah conceive Yahya. But sometimes I wonder, was it my medical diagnosis that got in the way? Or was it the story that I was telling myself that I'm infertile and I can't and I'm not good enough and I'm not worthy enough because of the diagnosis? I I often wonder and I do feel as though it's the latter, if I'm being honest. Mm. I think so many times when we're handed like, you know, a, um, a diagnosis of some sort, it like almost, you know, we internalize it and we accept that as part of our identity as opposed to like, you know, seeing it as something you can overcome. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're spot on with, with what you've said. It becomes your identity. Hi, I'm Suha. I study this degree at uni and I'm infertile. It was it was literally the lens that I saw, I, I viewed my life from uh, way, way before I got married. So, uh, you know, going down the path of marriage, um, there was there was a lot of difficulty. And post uh you know, I, I personally, this is my own terms here, I personally believe in uh, post-marital blues. I personally, I believe that. We have postpartum blues and postpartum depression, but I also wholeheartedly believe it based on my own experience, but a lot of the people that I've spoken to. And so I feel as though my struggles to conceive contributed heavily to the anxiety and depression that I developed immediately after marriage. So, you know, when you spoke to your husband uh, prior to getting married about, you know, your struggle with conceiving and that possibly affecting, you know, your ability to have children in the future, what was his response like? And I know a lot of women, you know, they shy away from talking about this topic because they feel like, oh, you know, they don't want to, maybe if they like the guy, they don't want to put him off or you know, it's almost a shame to them that Mm -hmm. this is what they have to explain. But you, mashallah, explain it to your husband and what was his response like? Well, I knew that if I didn't tell him, I was going to carry it with me, right? And subhanAllah, there's not only in our in our deen, but also in marriage, the the, the fundamental of of marriage is, is trust, right? And being accepted for who you are, flaws and all. And it was hard. I think if I'm being honest, he he was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, I don't think he really, I think when he heard, but it doesn't mean never. I think he just took that as the green light to, uh, you know, it'll be fine. Um, but I did really, str- do, do you understand this? If you don't want to continue. I think the confidence that I had in the way that I told him made a difference. If I had told him that, from a place of insecurity and don't get me wrong. I did have my insecurities, but I went into it with the mindset of at the end of the day, if you are not going to support me and accept this part of me, 
why would I even want you as my life partner, mm. right? This is me. You, you want me? This is part of me. And I'm sure that there are difficulties and traumas and challenges on your end, which obviously there are, um, that I'm going to have to be patient with, right? So uh, I think that was kind of the angle. For me, it was more of a, you know what, istikhara, let me say it. And if he is going to be judgmental or not even take some time out to understand, then that's not what I want in a life partner. Because of the that that level of um, confidence that I had in the way that I mentioned it to to him uh, and even stressed on it, do, are you sure you understand if you don't want to continue? I'm, I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. Um, even though deep down I was like, please, I really <laughs> like you, you know. Um, I think with that it kind of, it made him realize that actually this is a challenge. This isn't a life sentence. And also he, the, the confidence that I, that I used when I shared it um, really kind of gave him that sense of um, almost trust that we're going to get through this. If I didn't come across in that way, I think that he would have began to have self-doubt and worry and insecurities so I think that the way that we present ourselves, not just what we're presenting, matters. And if, this isn't just for infertility. I've I've met sisters who have been divorced, and they will meet someone and say, "Yeah, but you know, I was I was divorced, and you know, or, or but you know, I didn't concede, I didn't consummate the marriage. You know, the, the way that they pre- own it. Alhamdulillah, mm. that's part of your story, right? You're not any less because you got divorced, right, mm. or because X Y Z. So. The, the way we say, it's a bit like an interview, right? It's a bit like a um, a, uh, a job interview. Oh, yeah. Depending on the way that you sell yourself in that interview, right, you can give, yeah. two people can give the same piece of information and the way that it's being, uh, you know, being heard by the receiver makes all the difference. 100%. And, of course, as a coach, you have to remind us of that, mashallah. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, you said within a year, you were um, a year into marriage and you began to look into um, trying to conceive. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so I went to the doctor and I said, right, this is the situation. And obviously the first thing he said to me was, uh, do you get a period? Um, and I said, no. And then that's when I went down the um, endocrinologist route. Uh, and he just looked me dead in the eye and he said, I can't help you until you lose weight. And I continued to put on weight. I put on Mm. so much weight after he said that. And that's when I really uh, sunk in shame and self-pity and poor self-worth, poor self-esteem. I just got bigger and bigger and bigger and the hurdle felt like, this mountain that I just felt like I, cause, cause he wasn't just saying lose a couple of kilos. He mm. was saying like be half your body size. And I just thought, whoa, okay. And there was no support, no direction. Come back to me when you've lost weight for years. And every time I saw him, I put on more weight and more weight and more weight. Now as a coach, I realized that I had, uh, was experiencing what we call secondary gains. And secondary gains is when you uh, unconsciously, so you, you're not, you, you don't even realize that you're doing this, but you unconsciously benefit 
from not achieving a goal. What? But you wanted kids. How can you benefit? So this is when I started my coaching journey and I realized that when I, when he told me that, I was one step closer to a solution. So then I self-sabotaged. And the reason why I self-sabotaged is because I was afraid of the very thing that I said that I wanted. My parents passed away when I was a baby, my dad when I was seven months, nine months, sorry, and my mum when I was a year and a half. Mm -hmm. So I was an orphan. My childhood was very difficult. And immediately on an unconscious level, that trauma that I don't even remember, that repressed trauma stopped me from losing the weight because losing the weight meant having a baby. But what if I leave that baby? But what if he becomes an orphan or she becomes an orphan the way that I was? And so I was afraid to carry a child. And that comes with so much inner work. Like you don't discover this overnight. This took me months and years to come to terms with it. And when I did, when I did the inner work, alhamdulillah, I made some decisions and I put my head down and I focused and I lost the weight. And I was so desperate. To lose it because it would give me Clomid, right, which is a drug, a fertility drug that women take to induce ovulation. Yeah. And subhanAllah, the lesson, the lesson in this, I just need Clomid. Clomid will save me. Clomid will make me ovulate and everything will be okay. Wallahi, and I say this with shivers, Allah will help you, not the Clomid. It took me six years to go through and do the inner work and lose the weight for him to tell me, stop, enough, you're good now. You don't need to lose any more weight. Did two rounds of Clomid, nothing. The drug didn't even work, subhanAllah. It did not even work. And I was so deflated because I put my expectation on this drug instead of in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and what he wanted for me. It was the biggest lesson ever. It was like he was saying, Soha, your solution is not in this drug. It may be for a lot of people. Clomid's amazing for a lot of women, mashallah. I know loads of people with Clomid babies, mashallah. But my my uh, the drive that this was going to fix me in, and, and, and losing sight of Allah in that moment, that that really was a, a tough pill to swallow, a big lesson for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I went on with my journey. Um, which I'm sure we'll get to uh, in a moment, inshallah. Yeah. SubhanAllah, your your story just starting is already giving me <laughs> shivers, SubhanAllah. So, you know, how did you um, get to a point where you realized you needed to seek therapy? Was it like you were feeling a certain type of way or someone said something to you? Yeah, so I I heard a statement from someone that's very dear to me, who at the time wasn't dear to me, but is such a special person in my life. (sighs) And this person said to me, they looked me in the eyes and they said, Soha, if you were going to do it yourself, you would have done it already. Mm. There's There's no shame in getting help. And that's when I realized that I didn't need to figure out this inner work alone. I didn't need to do this. You know, subhanAllah, we talk about a village when women enter motherhood, but we are human beings. We are social 
beings. We need people, right? Not just for help, but just in general, right? And that's why, um, you know, even subhanAllah, when you look at the Day of Judgment, there is such a an emphasis placed on two friends, not family, two friends, two people, two companions, whatever capacity that looks like, that love each other for the sake of Allah, that are there for each other, that have rahmah for one another. We as human beings, we need other people. We need guidance. We need support. We need friendship. It's it's who we are. It's the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us. No one's meant to do things alone. SubhanAllah, even uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he said, Ya Allah, I'm scared. Like, help me, right? The, these, these people that we look up to that we think had it all together, they didn't. Even they needed the guidance and the counsel. So I think I just got to a point where I realized, okay, Suha, like enough's enough. You're you're almost 28 now. And 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 it wasn't so much my age, but it was the amount of time that I had, you know, it was the four years of stagnancy. Um, and that's when, yeah, that's when I thought, right, okay, enough's enough. And I I started with counseling, which was helpful but also for me it I felt like a dark cloud was just on top sitting on top of me with, with counseling because you make sense of it uh, but then you don't really do much with it mm. then I experienced coaching where you do dip in the past to make sense of it for your now and I was able to do something. I had structure. I had clarity. Um, so it was a, you know, I, I tippy-toed. I'm not going to lie. I tippy-toed into the process. I started with a little bit of free counselling, which, you know, most things that are free, aren't, you know, aren't always the most beneficial. And then I got a little bit closer and then I did paid counselling. And then I did psychotherapy and then coaching for me, game changer. So, um yeah, I think I kind of just heard that statement and I thought, you know what, so uh, nothing's going to save you. Not the planner, not the podcast, not the book, not the diet shakes. You, you, you need to understand that your behaviours are symptoms to deeper problems. This starts inside. This doesn't start at the gym. This doesn't start with a meal replacement. This starts with your heart and your mind and unpicking the real deeper reasons beneath the actions. And that's why as a productivity coach and a mindset coach, the first thing I do and say is we'll get to the actions later. We need to look at the beliefs and the values that you're holding on to beneath the actions. And I understand that it's so hard because weight loss or infertility there's so much doing right you need to lose the weight you need to eat right you need to do the exercise what are you talking about Suha? there's so much doing that's involved infertility right you need to take the supplements you need to eat the right things you know the superfoods you need to take the clomage you need to do the ivf you need to ensure your husband you know takes supplements or uh you know doesn't wear his trousers too tight so it affects you know the, the sperm quality and whatnot there's so much doing yes but our beliefs our self-limiting beliefs are everything. They are absolutely everything. And they will influence how sustainable those actions are. 
right? Um, even something simple, an action like medication. Do you know how many women go through infertility, muck about with their supplements and their metformin and their levothyroxine and all of these medicines that are given for thyroid and, and uh, you know, uh, PCOS issues amongst others. Like myself, I have PCOS and hypothyroidism. Mm. The first thing I would do, muck about with my medicine. One day yes, one day no. One week no, one week yes, right? I wasn't consistent with it because I didn't realise uh, the, the um, inner turmoil that was going on. So I think that, um, yeah, looking at it from that perspective is, is, is massive, is huge. And your coaching lasted how many years? Uh, when I sought coaching. So um, the uh, prior to coaching, I did do some, uh, some other types of therapies, but my coaching experience was about six months. But it was also six years ago, and I still reap the benefits of that investment. Uh, and and I, I, subhanAllah, even just last week, I had two ladies, subhanAllah, that made me cry, one from the UK, one from New York, who I'd worked with years ago. I'm talking like three years ago, saying, Wallahi, would you believe our work together still manifesting till now, subhanAllah. And I, 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 I genuinely, like, I actually broke down. It made me so emotional because I can relate to that because even till now, my it's my own experience is still manifesting oh, subhanallah. I, I would love to get into also how you um you know then decided you wanted to coach others um but for now let's just uh, stick to this yeah um, <laughs> you know uh when you were trying to conceive and you were like self-sabotaging and all of that at any point in that time did were people like family friends uh, even strangers were did you ever get questions about you know having children and if you did how did that uh, you know what did that bring up in you that's a really uh interesting question um so about a year in no about six months in I sat my mother-in-law down and I said to her because no one asked me no one from my in-laws asked me. No one from my family asked me. And I was hiding. I was hiding. Now you see me on social media owning my story. I will own my story because then I have the power, not my story. Mm. But in the early days, oh, gosh, no. No one knew. And I hid it. I was ashamed of it. And I sat my mother-in-law down with my husband. I said to my husband, do you want to let your mom know? Maybe she can make du'as for us. You know, I don't have my mom. Maybe she can make du'as for us if she knows. And he said, are you sure? I said, I just feel like I want to, you know, I just want to be transparent. And uh, we sat her down and I said, um, you know, look, mom, I just want to let you know, I have this like issue and I don't like get my period. Inshallah, one day, you know, I can have a child, but, you know, um, it, you know, it, it's going to be difficult and things like that. And uh, she said, it's okay, Soha, I already know. And I'm thinking, yo, who told you? But no one told her because no one knew. And I said, Mom, how did you know? She said, Saha, you fasted every day in Ramadan. And I was like, oh, <laughs> my goodness. Because at that time, I stayed Ramadan with them, before, you know, before we moved out and that. And I was like, oh, my God. I, I was so used to fasting Ramadan straight through that I didn't stop to think, oh, she's going to know that I haven't had a period, right? 
So she's like, I knew you fasted every day. Very <laughs> and I was like, yes. I was like, yo, your mom's smart. Watch her. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know, this and that. And over the years, I would, you know, confide in her as well. You know, I remember I got like four or five years in and I'll be honest, I, I sat her down and I said, you know, mom, I want to be honest with you. I've said to your son that if by X time I can't, then he is how I'm happy for him to, um, you know, maybe look for a second wife. And she looked at me and don't get me wrong, obviously, you know, polygamy is accepted in Islam, but my husband and I both come from families where that is not something that we've seen, right? Mm -hmm. It's not something that we would want for ourselves or that we would choose for ourselves. And, you know, with all due respect, there are obviously certain situations where it's it's needed and, and whatnot. And we can't sit here and say it's it's not, uh, you know, it is. But it's not something I ever, you know, I was, what? No way. But when you are so deep in the shame that you're not good enough and that you're keeping someone you love so much from experiencing that, you go there. You mm-hmm. go there. And she said, oh, gosh, no way. My son loves you. No, no, no. I also had this conversation with my husband. Look, if, you know, it will be hard for me, but, you know, I don't want you to not experience that. And that's when he said, but we'll be fine, we'll be fine. I said, but what if we're not fine? Just just what what happens then? But we'll be fine. But what if we're not? Because I got to a point where I thought, khalas, this is not going to happen for me. This is it. Khalas. So I accept it. And a lot of women do this. They do this with marriage. They do this with babies. They do this with jobs, right? Halas, it's not going to happen. I need to learn to accept that it's not in my path. Not because uh, they have to walk out. It's because they have fear. They're trying to protect themselves from it not happening. There's a difference. And they, oh, I have to have to walk out. That's not to walk out. That's you being afraid and not tying your camel, right? Yeah. Um, and I also, and I, and then that's when he said, I, I just, I grabbed him. I grabbed him by the shoulders and I said, I looked him in the eye and I said, hey, please, what if it doesn't, I need to know what happens then. And he just looked at me and he said, honestly, I said, honestly, he said, then inshallah, we will look into fostering or adopting. Obviously, you know, there's, there's rules around that Islamically, but we would do it, you know, properly. And it's like, this weight was lifted off my shoulders and I sobbed. He said, what's wrong? I said, so you'll still be with me even if I can't have kids? And he said, I love you. I would love to have kids. But if that's our path, that's our path. And it's like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. Like if I don't produce X, I don't, I like I'm going to lose him, right? Mm. It was kind of like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. And subhanAllah, it actually wasn't soon after that that, you know, we um we actually conceived. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, in terms of my family, uh a lot of them knew. Um my sister-in-law, so my brother's wife, who is subhanAllah, she married my brother when I was three. She's she's basically blood. Um whenever I'd see her family and stuff, she would just say, um, like, her family, not my family, were a bit more conservative. We wouldn't ask that, but her family are quite loud and proud. And she'd say, oh, they want to pay off their house. You know, they, they've got a mortgage or they're busy or they're working. And I would just fall deeper into shame when I when I would hear these excuses, right? And now looking back, I just wish I said, I'm struggling. Make dua for me, eh? Like mm. <laughs> just what was I hiding for, right? Yeah. Um 
but uh yeah those hearing those things made me feel very inadequate when when i you know so no one really kind of directly put that pressure on me but i put that pressure on myself uh in a lot of ways you know that's quite the opposite of like um myself for example uh i've been married now like five years and uh, we don't have children and subhanallah like in i was living in saudi previously and the questions like they would have no shame in asking mm. direct upfront you know don't you want children why why don't you have children and at the time you know i was i really wanted to study and that was the part that we had chosen so i they couldn't fathom i think it's also the culture like they just couldn't mm. fathom like why is it that you are not uh, you know having children because <laughs> for yeah, them it's yeah, almost yeah. like a sequence in life like you grow up get married and then have children you know it's absolutely it's, it's crazy and and now like you know years later when I am actually open to the idea of having children and it's like you know he if I were to hear those questions now I think that's that would be so heart-wrenching like why would you do this to someone and put them in such a awkward uncomfortable situation you know what I mean yeah absolutely I, I remember once being at my mother-in-law and I could hear people whispering how many years has she been married like her family friends my mother how many years has she been married and I saw them counting I saw them counting between how many years she doesn't have children I wonder why I heard that yeah. and I sunk in myself and you know it's it's really interesting what you're saying because yes you know Islamically you know we should procreate and whatnot but it's not haram if you don't have children. There are a lot of people that don't want children, right? And and this is where, again, culturally, like you said, we, halas live and let live. Like your way of, your view of the world and your sequence isn't necessarily other people's sequence, right? There are people that don't want children. There are people that are struggling to conceive. There are people that have trauma. They have mother wounds, that they didn't have their own mom or whatever, whatnot, and they don't want to bring a child into the world. And there's a million reasons for it. And we, we lack compassion in our community. We lack compassion in our culture because we see that this is the sequence, this is how it should be done, and, you know, that's it. They, they, it's so rigid. There's no flexibility with it, right? And when we stop and we take a step back, which is really hard to do, by the way, when you're going through infertility, but when you stop and you take a step back, you begin to realize that that's their skewed view of the world. Mm. That's that's the way that they see the world. You get married, you have kids, da, da, da. If you look at that person, right, or speak to that person and connect to that person on a deeper level, and you look at them and you say, are you happy? Because I've done it. At least 70% of the women, at least 70% of the women who are mothers, that will probably make some comments or remarks about you not being a mother yet, are either unfulfilled in their marriage, wish that they studied, wish that they waited, wish that they had kids later. SubhanAllah. You, you don't, when you, put place all of your happiness on this one thing, right? So when I have a child, I will be happy. When I have a child, I will be fulfilled. You think that everybody that has what you want is khalas fulfilled and happy? No, absolutely not. Trust me on that. I've had one-to-one -one conversations with women that have said, I wish I waited. I wish I didn't have children. I wish I studied. I wish I this, I wish I that. I wish I traveled. I wish I whatever, mm -hmm. right? Um, 
one plus one, you know, is two, right? Or, or as they say, you know, th uh, three plus four is seven, right? But so is, you know, two plus five, right? Mm, yeah. There's no one way to do something. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, sorry. Let's go back to your story, which was so interesting, mashallah, of how then you eventually did get pregnant. Uh, so talk us through how did that happen and um, yeah what kind of things did you do to like you said you took the coaching what other things did you do to like actively try to conceive okay so um, I first of all I just want to say I do go off on a tangent so no you it, are welcome really to enjoyable. get me back on track at, at any point because I do tend to do that right okay so the first thing was I stepped out of emotion and into logic yeah, I stepped out of emotion and into logic. And this is what happens when you work on, when you do the inner work. You heal the emotion so then you can think logically. I went from, um, Ya Allah, please, I want a baby, to Suha. And this is what the coaching process teaches you. What's the evidence? You need to ovulate to have a baby. And if you're not ovulating, there are ways to ovulate. Do you have eggs? Literally, do you have eggs? Yes? Okay, great. Does your husband have sperm? Excellent. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bring ease, ease to the men uh, who, are, who have uh, no sperm because mm -hmm. that would mean that the um, only way to conceive would be through a sperm donor, which according to um, our beliefs is, is not uh, allowed in, in our faith. Outside of that, there is hope, sisters. It takes one egg and one sperm, right? I know people very close to me who had to go through chemo. You can't have kids. Your sperm, this, that. Mashallah. Three kids, right? As long as you have eggs and he has sperm, there is, and you have the belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is hope. And there's a lot of it. And this is where you start getting logical, right? You start with your husband. What's his story? What's the morphology of his sperm, right? Okay, how can you improve his sperm quality? Go there first, okay? That's where you go first. Once that's sorted and you got the green light there, then you focus in on yourself, right? And you, uh, first and foremost, you um, you would do the, 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 the inner work. Address the emotion. Once you've done that, then you're left with logic. I need to ovulate, right? How do I get ovulating? So some practical tips to support with ovulation. Q10 and uh, omega-3, 6, and 9, a dose of omega uh, Q10 and 3, 6, and 9 taken together um, improves uh, egg quality, okay? So we focus too much on egg quantity. We also need to focus on egg quality. So you want to do... Uh, I forgot what the test is called. Subhanallah, I did it so many years ago. Um, oh, it's it's left my mind. The but there is, uh, they look at the quantity, right? So you want to look at the the quantity. Now, a lot of women go on this journey. They do this test. They, oh my gosh, I got a low egg count. But it's about quality, not quantity, right? So don't freak out if you got a low egg count, right? And if you are someone who is battling PCOS and you're worried about your age, kick back a bit. You've got a, a, a good reserve, inshallah, right? 
and that's because they're not being used. Okay, so either way you look at it, it's okay. So that's where you want to go first. You want to you want to improve your egg quality, right? And these are things. Uh, first and foremost is the emotional side of it. When you deal with when you do the inner work and you emotionally look after yourself, that le- that is going to lower your cortisol and lower your stress, and that's going to help you immensely. So so there's uh, what you're eating, obviously your diet. Then there's moving your body and in, you know increasing that blood flow, quality sleep. But then there's also other things that are going to improve your egg quality, like taking ovacetol or inositol is, an, is another name for it, which is excellent um, uh, and, and often induces ovulation uh, and then there and improves egg quality. And then there's the Q10 and omega-3, 6, and 9. So when you look at it from a holistic perspective, it's not just what you're, what you're eating. It's also your stress levels, the inner work. And then taking obviously all of these supplements that are going to help you with your, you know, your egg quality. And then from there, um, there's also, as I was saying earlier about the cortisol, right? So this is the thing about cortisol and this is why it's very counterproductive, right? When we stress, right? And we might not even feel stressed, but our unconscious mind holds on to repressed emotions, right? And this is why the inner work is so important because you need to uh, process it and let it go, you're going to let that weight go, which is so hard when you're in the thick of infertility, right? Yeah. But when we are stressed, whether we realize it or not, or even our body is stressed, what happens is um, it increases uh, our, you know, cortisol levels, right? And that's why anxiety and depression, um, not always, but quite often go hand in hand with infertility. When we have high cortisol, what happens is, Think of it like Pac-Man, right? Cortisol eats progesterone, literally, right? Cortisol eats progesterone. You could look at it like that, right, as a simple analogy. You need progesterone to ovulate. You also need progesterone to sustain a pregnancy, Mm. right? So when you are stressed, oh, stressed, relax, it'll happen, all these comments, right? As annoying and frustrating Mm. as they are, there is truth in it because if you are so consumed by your infertility journey, you are by default going to increase your uh, cortisol. It's going to impact your progesterone and you're either going to have spotting or you might have an absent period. Or you might not even ovulate and ovulation, right? There's a lot that can happen when you are consciously or unconsciously stressed And that's why the best thing you can do for yourself on your fertility journey, wallahi, wallahi, the best thing you can do, it's what I did, right, is in addition to the actions, right, the supplements, the sleep, et cetera, um, is get logical, get logical. You need to ovulate. Now, what did I use to, to help me? Now, all these sticks and tracking and all that, it's overwhelming. It adds to the cortisol, adds to the stress. I invested in a device called OvuSense, okay. right? It's a little device. It, it looks like a sperm, basically, you know, like a, a giant sperm. It's got um, like a, a ball type at the top and then a string at the bottom. And you insert this overnight. You need to sleep for a minimum of six hours. And then you just tap it on your phone and uh, it, uh, it tracks your cycle. Now, one of the biggest problems that women have when it comes to infertility, not all of us, but a lot of us, 
is that either we're not ovulating, we don't know when we're ovulating, or we think we're ovulating because we've got a, f- a perfect cycle and halas day 14, I'm ovulating, I've been active around then, why am I not getting pregnant? So when you are in an emotional place, when you're um, battling infertility, one of the best things you can do is address the emotion and then get logical. When my device, which is 99.99% accurate for women with PCOS, this is the problem with ovulation sticks. They're not accurate when you have hormone imbalances. Okay. Mm -hmm. When I see that and I ovulate and then two weeks later, my little phase happens and then I get my period. I build trust, obviously in Allah, but in this device and in my body's ability to ovulate, right? OvuSense has helped me, supported me by the will of Allah to get pregnant three times. The first one was a miscarriage. The second one was Yahya and the third one was a chemical pregnancy, right? Mm -hmm. This OvuSense is incredible. Right, it is literally tying your camel, but not from an emotional standpoint, from a logical standpoint. Khalas, I ovulate, and this is what the brain needs. Right, sorry, going to go down the coaching route here. This is what the brain needs. Infertility is an emotional battle, but what you need to do is get logical. You need to believe in your body's ability to do this. You need to believe that your body is capable. You need to feel like. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made you perfectly, which we know, but we doubt that. And when you have evidence, you have literal evidence, either you've done a test to check your egg quality, your husband's sperm is is, is good. It doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to be fine, right? Um, You are tracking, you know, using OvuSense or another accurate device depending on your situation. When your mind drifts off to... Ya Allah, it's never going to happen. You go, hold up, hold up a sexist and you be your own best friend. You be your own advocate and you say, hey, step out of it. You've got the evidence. This will happen by the will of Allah because your Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made your body do what it's supposed to be doing. And when you are able to A, look at this from a logical perspective and B, develop that self-trust and self-belief both in your in your body and in the process, more often than not, this is this is fact, 90-something percent of women who struggle to conceive will end up with a child, inshallah. This is based on science. And it comes down to education and doing the inner work. And so for me, when Clomid didn't work, um, we were going to do IVF. Okay, now listen carefully to this because I may or may not shed a tear here. I can already feel it's bubbling up. Allah's timing is perfect. It is perfect. Finally, I got onto the list for IVF. It's going to happen. I've lost the weight. Clomid didn't work. Bismillah. We are six years in now, six, six and a half years in. He sent me the letter to do IVF. I'm going to do IVF. And then I start having this, oh, my God, what if it doesn't work? IVF sometimes works the first time, but what if it doesn't? Oh, but you know what? It's okay, Soha. Bismillah. You got it. COVID hit. All treatments cancelled. I was devastated. Ya Allah, are you serious right now? Like, I've been waiting so long for the green light for IVF. 
I am weeks away from it. COVID? Are you serious? Everything was stopped nearly a year, right? No treat, if not more, no treatments in the UK, nothing. Close the centers. No one can do it. Class. This is not a, it is what it is. I was absolutely devastated. But I held on to hope. I then uh, continued to track using OvoSense. I had my appointment, my consultation. He said, right, come in on this day. You're going to start IVF. This date was about a month away. I'd spoken to the doctor on the phone. He said, come in. We're going to give you your medication. We're going to explain the process. Bismillah khalas. We're going to start. In that month, I started tapping into the coaching tools. I also reached out to my coach. I said, listen, in a couple months, I'm going to do IVF. I, I, I need, you know, there's some stuff coming up for me, right? I want, I want, to, I want to hit it where it hurts. I want to address it, mm -hmm. right? I don't want to go into this with self-doubt. I know the power of the inner work. Cool. Right, okay, no worries. We'll meet weekly until you do IVF. Okay, great. I also started changing um, the way that I spoke to myself. Ahmed, imagine, imagine we don't need to do IVF and we get pregnant. Wallahi, wallahi, by the will of Allah, the same day I had the prescription in my hands for IVF, positive pregnancy test. She said, go and do a test. You cannot take these drugs unless we, I'm, I'm not a prick. Just, just take the test. Alhamdulillah. And so I was pregnant with Yahya. MashaAllah. That is, it's stuff out of a movie. <laughs> Right? Imagine COVID didn't hit and I did the IVF and it was unsuccessful. SubhanAllah, maybe it would have stuffed up my cycles. Maybe Yahya wouldn't be here. Allahu alam. We don't know. But his timing, his timing, I know it doesn't feel like it. I know it doesn't. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. His timing is perfect. You need to do the actions, as I just said, but also commit to the inner work alongside it. Release it. Release it from your body. Release it from your unconscious mind. Get real about what, what you're afraid of. Address it. When you do the logical work and the emotional work, right, whilst having that tawakkal, right, because the thing is you need to do these two things to have the tawakkal, yeah. right? You can't just, oh, I'm making dua. Yeah, but what's the quality of your dua? What's the quality of your dua? Ya Allah. Do you, is your, are you thinking about the, the Nando's you're going to eat for lunch while you're making your dua? No. Don't shy away from your emotions. When you see a kid and your heart breaks because you can't wait to have your own child in a but don't look at that sis and think, oh, man, subhanAllah, it was probably so easy for her and da-da-da and get. No. Use that. First of all, make a dua for her child. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give that child good health, right? And 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 give that mother as many children as her heart desires, her heart desires, so that the angels, inshallah, can say amen for you. That's the first step. Any sign of jealousy or comparison, get rid of it. The second thing is lean into the emotion. Be sad. Be sad. Be sad that you saw a woman with a beautiful child and you wish for that. Tap into that. And in that moment when it's bubbling up inside of you in the supermarket or, you know, wherever you are, in that moment, Rabbi, Habli, Min Ladunka, in that moment, I can, I feel shivers right now. You've got to say it when you're at an emotional height, when you emo your emotions are heightened. Not when 
you know, you're chilling out with a cup of coffee. Oh, I just did my Duhar Namaz. Let me quickly make a quick du'ai because I want to have kids. No, you, you can't structure this. You can't structure your du'a. Let your emotions lead the way. And when you, the, the best du'a I would make was when I would have a session, coaching session, therapy session or whatever, any type of inner work. And then I was triggered. I was emotional. I was crying. I was releasing all of that. And then I would make a du'a. Use your emotions. Stop being afraid of them. You feeling emotion and you feeling sad. It's not a bad thing. Take it. Take it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, you know, one of the one of the people under his, you know, in his shade, inshallah, is, is the people who, you know, cried in his in in his remembrance, right? It had that emotional, like it made them cry. You know, the Prophet was sad. I'm not sitting here and saying be positive, think positive, don't be sad. No, what I'm saying is use your sadness to drive authentic dua that you begin to believe in, right? Believe in. My son the other day, we took him to a little show in the theatre. He got into the car. I'm human too, right? We got into the car. And he was chucking a tantrum and I just, it really triggered me because I just thought, are you serious? Like we just took you out. Are you crazy? And I literally, oh, this is so ethnic of me, right? I was like, do you think we went to the theatre when we, right? I was like, I was really annoyed. And then subhanAllah, he knows a couple of words and he looked up at me and he said, I sad like that. My heart broke. <laughs> And I, I just, all of a sudden, I just washed away, that, that frustration washed away, and I grabbed him and I said, Yahya is sad. Yahya is sad because he wants to stay and play. Come here, mama. Inshallah, next time we can. Right. What was the difference? One of them was inauthentic, whining, annoying, you know, uh, routine behavior. The other one was authentic. Mama, I'm sad. Mom, I'm going to cry now. Mama, I'm sad. Tell Allah that you're sad. Tell him that it's heavy. And mean it, not after your asr because, you know, that's what you do and, you know, oh, before maghrib. Yes, obviously there is wisdom in that. But the best is when it comes up for you. That is when you ask. That is when you show. And and and, and if that's me with my son, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves us 70 times more. Imagine you cried to him the way my son looked at me with those little puppy dog eyes and he said, I'm I sad, Mama. I sad. It just I just wanted him to be okay, and Allah will want that for you if you show up authentically whilst tying your camel. Subhanallah, so profound and jazakallah khair for these for these words of wisdom. Um, you know, you said that you had got uh, pregnant with the obvious sense a few times. So, was this before your IVF? or during, uh, meaning before you were scheduled for IVF or during, because you had a miscarriage before Yahya, right? Yes. So that was during my weight loss journey. I got pregnant and uh, I had a miscarriage. I entered that pregnancy with fear. Okay. I had a lot of fear around that, right? I had a lot of fear. And I, I didn't believe that that pregnancy was going to last. And everyone, oh, you're fine, you're fine. I said, I'm not fine. This, I just I just had a, my intuition, subhanAllah. When you do this work, you develop a good sense of intuition. So when I got pregnant with Yahya, alhamdulillah, I was my own advocate. 
my own health advocate. I took all my supplements. I made sure I ate right. I also paid privately for progesterone suppositories. Doctors are amazing. Okay. They are amazing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, has, you know, created that profession for a reason, but no one knows you the way that you know you. Right. I know me. I know my body. If I, if I, my life isn't, you know, at the end of the day, doctor, okay, see you later, paycheck, bye. I needed to be my own advocate and I needed to know that I was going to do whatever it took. So I paid privately for progesterone suppositories. You can insert them. Yeah. So basically they're just suppositories that, so we know that a lot of women who struggle to conceive one of the reasons, and it may not be the reason, but it's always good to take precaution, right? One of the reasons that women uh, struggle with miscarriage or maybe infertility or whatnot is because of low progesterone. Sometimes women just have low progesterone, just, you know, sometimes women have hormonal issues. Sometimes it's PCOS. It could be a multitude of reasons. Progesterone, as I said earlier, you need progesterone to ovulate. There's no progesterone up until ovulation. Progesterone is released, you ovulate. Now what happens is if you are highly stressed or your body doesn't produce enough progesterone, um, your body sometimes can And this is one of many reasons, okay? I just want to make that very clear. This could – I don't know what the percentage is, but this is one of many reasons, okay? There's lots of reasons for miscarriage, subhanAllah, right? And it's very, very common. But one of the reasons can be low progesterone. In the first trimester, your body needs progesterone to sustain the pregnancy, whereas in the later trimesters, it doesn't need it because the, the womb and all that is, is self-sufficient, right? So a suppository is basically um, – it's, 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 it's like a, it's a small um, pessary that you insert um, in, in either, either from the front or the back twice a day um, for the first 12 to 16 weeks of your pregnancy. And what that does is it just ensures that you you have enough progesterone in your system to feed the um, pregnancy. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created us perfectly and he has created our bodies that we produce progesterone. But as a precaution, and for a lot of people, they take it. I myself took it. I also believed in it because of my research. Okay, so you can't just do something and bismillah, it'll work. I, the belief, see, it always comes back to the inner work. I believe in the power of progesterone um, because of my research and my experiences. I also did um, uh, acupuncture from six weeks to 36 weeks. I also believe in acupuncture because when I was morbidly obese, I did acupuncture. And three weeks later, I got my period for the first time in a year and a half. And guess what I did? I never went back again. It goes back to the self-sabotage and the secondary gains. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can get pregnant. Oh, my God. Ya Allah, what if I actually get pregnant? And I stopped. And then she, I went back to her like five years later. She's like, did I see you once? I was like, yeah. I go, but I got my picture. She goes, uh, wasn't that the point? Um, so, again, I believe in um, acupuncture, we know that increases uh, blood circulation to the uterus, which is another reason, right? So I did, I, I, what we, what I call in the, um, in my coaching as the belief table, right? So we have our belief at, at the tabletop and we need evidence, which are the legs to hold up that belief. So the belief for me is I will carry 
and deliver a healthy baby. Did I believe it? Of course I didn't believe it. But every time I doubted that belief, I looked to my legs. Soha, when you miscarried, you weren't taking your thyroid medication. Now you are. And you're on it and you're doing tests to monitor your thyroid. Okay, strong legs. See that? See how strong that is? See how when I'm doubting myself, I can tell myself that and reassure myself logically? Leg number two, Soha, you weren't taking progesterone suppositories. Now you are. Again, see, solid factual leg. Not inshallah, it'll be okay. No, solid leg. That's what the brain needs. It needs logic. It's what the mind works with. The mind works with logic, not emotion. Third leg, you're on it with your metformin and you're tracking your blood sugar. Didn't need to, but I chose to. Again, leg and many, many other legs. So when self-doubt creeped in, because guess what? Infertility doesn't stop when you have a baby. That stays with you and you've got to manage it. It's not curable. It's manageable, right? So as a human being, when I see those, those, when I saw those doubts come up, right, I use my coaching tools because I practice what I preach and I would reassure myself, alhamdulillah. And I knew that no matter what happened, I ticked every damn box and whatever was going to happen was qadr Allah. But I had so much self-belief in that pregnancy. I felt in my heart that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted that for me because of the way my dua changed from the miscarriage to Yahya. It, 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 the inner work contributes to authentic dua. Mm. And then the um, chemical pregnancy, um, to be honest, was about a month ago. Okay. Now, old suha. Pre-coaching, so, oh, my God, my body, this, that, da, 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 da. Oh, my God, ya Allah, what if I did that? Okay. New suha, post-coaching suha, that sucks. I cried. I was sad. I want a sibling for your hand, inshallah. But the coaching mindset reframes that. Suha, you got pregnant naturally, again, using sense. Cool. Your body's capable. Suha, chemical pregnancies are very common. It just means that the um that the um for whatever reason the um blastocyst didn't embed in the in the alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. SubhanAllah, women have ectopic pregnancy, alhamdulillah. Suha, you're more fertile the several the, the following months after a chemical. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, you know what, not this time, but your body's still capable, just in case you were doubting yourself. The, the, the reframe comes from doing the inner work. Same situation, oh, my goodness. So how eight years ago, I would have probably fell into depression maybe, mm-hmm. you know. But look at me, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. I, I, I cried. I was sad. Don't get me wrong. But I knew. I knew when I saw the two lines, my husband said to me, um, Oh, this is exciting. I said, let's just check if it's real. He goes, what do you mean if it's real? I said, my intuition's telling me this is a chemical pregnancy. SubhanAllah. Because I know my body and I know my belief system. And that comes from the inner work. So so before and after, in, in short, to answer your question. <laughs> uh, during your um all this work that you were doing to try and conceive, you know, what, what was your husband like doing to support you or try on his part, basically, um, during this? Yeah. So they don't know a lot of the time. They don't know. Um, 
and there were frustrations there, you know, from me. Um, I, you know, where I would express to him that it means a lot to me. I need you to educate yourself. So he did things like um, there were some accounts, fertility accounts that I follow that I shared with him. Um, he would also get my uh, supplements ready every week for me. You know, he'd put them in the little, you know, the little boxes yeah. with all your morning did it. He would do that for me. And he'd say to me, you know what, I've got your supplements ready because he knew that that was helpful, right? So we did that. He would make my inositol drink for me, right? Um, you know, he he would um, ask me, you know, if, you know, what foods I needed, you know, or um, sometimes he'd just say, what can I do to help, right? Now, he didn't just wake up and do all of that, right? I literally said to him, I was open and I said, I feel like there's a lot of pressure on me, right? Especially when your fertility doctor says to you, you're good, mate, no worries, cheers, your, your sperm's cool, no props, mm. right? He, he said a few other words, but let's not go there, right? Um, and they do do that and they don't realise how hurtful it is because I've worked with some other women who um, are battling infertility and the similar comments, which I'm not going to share here, um, were said to them and made them feel very inadequate. Um, but, you know, so I feel like there's a lot on me, Right. And at the time, they told me that my one of my tubes might be blocked, right? But wait, there's more. They told me that my tube might be blocked. And I was very, I almost believed it. But I I had to reframe there and say, so alhamdulillah, you've got a tube that works. When they did the scan, I said, which, which uh, tube? She said, your right tube. I said, but they told me it was blocked. She goes, well, that's where your hair came from. That's where this, that's where this embryos come from. But that's a little little sidetrack there. But going back to what you were saying, I had to say to him, this is how I feel and this is how you can support me. And very important, very, very important, because if you don't communicate that and you assume that, you, that your husband um, should know better, right, then you're going to build a resentment between you and that in and of itself can sometimes be what needs addressing in order for you to, because when you are intimate, you need to emotionally connect. Your um, When you're intimate, it needs to be about more than just ovulating, baby, quick, hurry up, let's get this done, right? And I remember going to a baby show um, many, many moons ago, a very, very long time ago, maybe nine years ago. And the man at the end of the show, he said, ladies, make an effort. Your husband is not a robot. And obviously I don't want to get too, um, you know, too uh, nitty-gritty here, but he basically just said that, um, you know, you have a responsibility to ensure that your, you know, that your spouse or boyfriend or whatever he said, um, you know, is, is engaged, completely engaged and emerged in the act as well right, because that's going to help him, which is then going to help you, right. And I think that when you're going down this, it does become a bit of a chore sometimes, right. Get it done quick, you know, quick, there's only 24 hours, hurry up, da-da-da-da-da, right, or come on, we need to this, that, and the other, right. So, and you can put so much pressure on yourself, right. You don't need to be intimate three times a day. You don't even need to be intimate once a day. That's That's too much. You're looking at, once every second day is good, 
because you know the sperm can last up to five days mm. women don't get women don't um the more often than not the sperm was already there when the egg was released so that's why every second day following your period um up until confirmed ovulation is perfect and that's it right take the pressure off go out with the girls go shopping have fun watch a movie cozy up whatever well leave the rest to allah all right focus on your goals tick the box and but when you tick it make sure that it's coming from a place of authenticity and connection and not just oh okay come on hurry up mm-hmm. um so so with that as i was saying um you know we need to be the ones to say right I'm struggling. This is how you can support me. You know, I don't think we give men enough credit. You know, they 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 want to be the hero. They want to help you. They just don't know how. And you don't feel heard. You don't feel seen, right? He doesn't understand. All the pressure is on me. He's all good, this, that, blah, blah, blah. Everyone's asking me. Everyone thinks that I'm the problem. All sorts of stuff, right? He wants to be the hero. He wants to come to your rescue. He wants to support you as his wife. And then he wants to be acknowledged and appreciated and respected for it, right? So when my husband would do the medication for me, even till now, right? Oh, you know what? Thank you so much. SubhanAllah, I nearly forgot. Or I really appreciate that. Or a high five or a kiss or something, right? Mm -hmm. To reinforce that positive support that he's giving you. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, I once read on one of your posts how I think you had drawn a picture of like your yes. pregnant. And tell me about how did that come about? Who who told you to like do this and how did it help you mentally? So this was when I had begun my journey. Um, I uh, I had started also. I also had a book. Um that I like a notebook that I would I would write in and while I was on my journey I did a visualization exercise where I closed my eyes and I imagined myself in a maternity shoot and um, I, I scribbled it in the notebook and then a couple of I can't remember when I posted that but around the time that I posted that my friend had come and I was showing her this book and she said so what's this and I just went oh Oh, my goodness. I had completely forgotten about it, right? And I think there was about five, four years between when I drew that and and that present moment, and I just cried. I literally just cried. It was, you know, this is the, this is the power of the brain, subhanAllah. We have the conscious, the unconscious, and we also have the subconscious. I consciously forgot about that picture. But my unconscious mind, subhanak ya Rab, my unconscious mind didn't forget that picture. Would you believe that the way that I dressed in that picture was exactly, exactly, necklace, everything was exactly, the hand position was exactly what I did for my maternity shoot. The only difference is my dress was red, whereas when I drew, I think it was black. But even that, the fact that it was black and it was red, think about it, bright, vibrant, black. I didn't quite believe the image, right? Look at that, mm-hmm. subhanAllah. And this is the power of the unconscious mind. 
right? It holds on to stuff. Everything we see, touch, smell, feel. If I never ate ice cream, saw ice cream, heard the word ice cream, right? Tasted ice cream, all of that. I would, and you had, I, I'd be like, what's that? What's this? What's this thing? Yeah, right? We take things in through our representational system. Somewhere along the line, whether you consciously are aware of it or unconsciously, somewhere along the line, and this is where the inner work comes in, you have taken in, you have absorbed the belief that you're not good enough, you're not worthy enough, or maybe something happened or that you, you're not deserving or that it shouldn't happen for you or you're going to have a difficulty or, or whatnot, right? And you've absorbed that and it is being manifested in your life. Not because uh, law of attraction, da, da, da. no, no, no. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that created the unconscious mind, mm. right? He created it. This manifesting and attracting, he created the unconscious mind, right? Which then manifests and attracts. That it's his, it's his permission and his will and his doing that he, he didn't just create the conscious mind. No, he created the conscious and the unconscious, the things you're not even aware of, right? That have come up for you, right? And so it's in his wisdom that he did that. And we need to start using that to our advantage. Yeah, I'm just soaking all this in. <laughs> uh, at what point in your in this pregnancy with Yahya, at what point did you like, were you confident that, okay, you know, things are going to go smoothly, inshallah, and, you know, and then you started to prepare for this baby. Um, yeah, at what point did that happen? It didn't. It didn't. I got scans every two weeks. I paid for scans every two weeks so I could logically reassure myself. It didn't. I bought nappies two days before I went to the hospital. My husband built the bed while I was in the hospital. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't. And I look back and I think, oh, my God, I was so unprepared. I was so overwhelmed when he came. I didn't even think about what my how my life would change when I had a baby because I just wanted him to be alive. And this is, this is, this is, this is the, the trauma that comes with infertility. I did buy a few bits here and there. But I didn't um, attach yourself. No. Mm. But I was conscious. I knew exactly what I was doing. I knew exactly why I was doing it, and 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 so um, I I, I had to tap into my tools a lot. Mm. And that's why I love the coaching process because it acknowledges that you're human. I didn't just wake. Oh, yeah, it's going to be fine. Halas. I did feel better when I surpassed 10 weeks because, uh, sorry, eight weeks and then 10 weeks because research suggests that uh, most miscarriages happen before eight weeks. So I, once I had the eight-week scan because I, I my miscarriage happened at seven weeks, six days with the first one. So once I had to pass that, it was kind of like my, my, my mind kind of went, a little bit. And then when I passed 10 weeks, because I was on a lot of fertility support groups and a lot of them said before the 10 weeks. So again, in my mind, I had this milestone of 10 weeks and again, and then again in second trimester. And then again, when I could feel him kicking. So there was ease. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't holding my breath the whole time, Yeah, but I, but I didn't, um, 
do, no, no. And every night we read Surah Al-Maryam, my husband put his hand on his on my belly and we, and we were conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the whole time. Even I brought my husband a Qur'an cover and inside, you know, the leather ones, because his dad bought him a Qur'an, and, you know, he's no longer with us and it was breaking. So I got him a Qur'an cover and in the Qur'an cover it says, Dear Baba, thank you for reading Surah Al-Maryam every night when I was in Mama's belly. Hmm. So no, I just did things to bring ease, to reassure. Hmm. And I think if you ask any woman whether they experience infertility or not, there is a small part of every woman, whether they've struggled to conceive or not, that kind of goes, but what if? Your goal is to not feed the what if, right? That's that's your goal. Don't Don't give it value. Don't give it weight. Do what you need to do to reassure yourself, right? To comfort yourself, to, you know, all of that. But but don't go into that as best as possible. What we do is we thought stop. We literally just say no. Say no. Say no to your mind. No, not going down that road. And then you go and you reassure yourself. Mm. You remain mindful of Allah, remain mindful of all of the things that you're thinking and doing and feeling that are contributing to a healthy pregnancy. So I'm guessing at the point when you held Yahya in your arms is when you actually felt, okay, this is real. Like, subhanAllah, I have this baby in front of me. Yes and no. I I was in the hospital being induced and it was a very traumatic experience and then I had an emergency C-section. And then after that, my husband 15 minutes later had to leave because of COVID. But I do remember when they pulled him out after 20-something hours of labour and they said, are you ready? Here he is. And I saw him and subhanAllah, he didn't cry. He was looking around like that. And the first thought, thought I had in my head was, mashallah, he's so alert. He's real. And the second thought I had was, I'm never doing that again ever in my life. <laughs> But you get over it and, you know, then you see, mashallah, that it's worth it. Um, but I think for me, I forgot to change his nappy. Like I was so, they're like, have you changed his nappy? I was like, oh, yeah, I need to change the baby's nappy. Have you fed the I was so like, it was just. It just um, felt like a dream. Yeah, like it was so surreal. It was like an out-of-body experience. And then when I came home, that's when it came to me, oh, my God. I have a baby, but it wasn't a pleasant experience, to be honest. It was a, oh, my God, what do I do? But but to, for me, that was the fact that my family are all overseas. I had no support network. You know, I, 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 I thought I would have maybe my in-laws kind of like be, be around, but, you know, with COVID and, and, and whatnot, um, it, it was very, it was a very isolating feeling um, so for me personally. Um, and it was really difficult. It was very, very difficult. Um, and this is what people don't talk about, particularly with infertility. There are actual support groups for women who battle infertility and actually have a baby because it comes and slaps you in the face because most of what you expect will not be the case. And it slaps you in the face and it's very, very difficult. I, I feel like any new mum really should um, make uh, coaching or therapy um, or both, because uh, they're, they're similar but different practices. 
part of their postpartum uh, experience without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, a lot came up for me after having a hair. It was the hardest time of my life. A lot of my mother wounds uh, resurfaced and it took me about, honestly, this is me being real and honest, between eight to 12 weeks to connect with my son and develop a, a love for him because as much as people <laughs> like to believe that you get this euphoric feeling, and some people do, uh, you'd be surprised how many women don't. And this is another, this is straight away, the expectation already has not been met because, um, and this isn't just me, this is many women I've spoken to, by the way. As, as shocking as it may sound to someone who's yearning for this baby, uh, you may or may not uh, be flooded with uh, love for your child. You may be in shock. You may feel overwhelmed. Um, it, it might be the most beautiful and pleasant experience, but it also might not be. Um, and for a lot of people, it's not. And for me, I would say that it wasn't. I also would say that my circumstance and environment played a massive part in that. So, for example, if I was in Australia with my family, not in COVID, mm. I have no doubt that my heart would have felt ease and I would have felt supported and I would have really enjoyed that a lot more. But uh, because I was alone, um, my family at the time were all asleep because of the time difference, so I couldn't even call them. Um my uh, husband was told to leave literally 15 minutes after he came out and he couldn't come back for nearly seven hours. Um, because I was in, in the hospital for 10 days prior with zero sleep um, because the induction didn't work. So, you know, because I'm in the UK and not in, the, 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 you know, COVID, there, there were so many factors for me that inshallah, anyone moving forward, inshallah, that doesn't happen in terms of like COVID and stuff. But I would definitely think about your village and think about your preparation before you, um, but you know, before you um, have your baby, inshallah. And that looks like your relationship with your partner because it will change when you and when it's just been you and your husband for years and years and years, and then bam, like I literally miss my husband. Like I literally miss my husband, and. You know, we've we've had to make some tough decisions. Like, alhamdulillah, mashallah, my son's child minder is beautiful. But sometimes in my husband's lunch break, he works from home and we go for a coffee while my son is at the child minders because we don't have any, I can't just drop him off at his grandma's or aunties and whatnot, right? You you have to so you gotta figure out how are you gonna make time for just you two, right? You gotta think about like literal preparation food preparation, freeze meals, all things like that, but also the emotional journey that comes when you enter into motherhood. Mm. And often when you've been struggling, you don't hold space for any of these three things. You're just like, Halas, I want the baby, that's it, cute outfits, but it's so much more than that. So um, I think all of those things um, uh, impacted my experience and I had to, once again, do the inner work, but that was because it was a whole new can of worms that, I didn't even knew was buried in my in my unconscious mind, you know. I just thought I don't have parents, I don't have an attachment to my mom. It is what it is. But whoa, when I had Yahya, 
I felt so incapable, A, because of my infertility, but B, because I didn't have a mom. How can I be a mom when I've never had a mom? So just be, you know, mindful that things might come up for you. And once again, with a big smile on my face, after having done the inner work, mashallah, me and my son, um, he's my best friend, man. He's my best friend. And till now, even I pinch myself and I feel very, very grateful, Allahumma barik, for, um, for him. He's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a blessing, alhamdulillah. Um, and inshallah, whoever's listening to this and feels that it seems so far away, I know you're watching other people and you think, when is it my turn? You know, you hear even success stories like mine, you know, you're probably thinking, oh, yeah, she had infertility. Here's her success story. But when's mine going to come? You know, when's my success story? You know what? It will come, inshallah, but you need to take a step back, be prepared to do the inner work and also, um, you know, as, as, as cliche as it says, trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's timing. He really, really knows better than you. Mm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala waited for COVID to happen before he gave me a child. Think about it. My husband was at home. In a world where you enter motherhood and you already feel isolated, add the fact that you have no family around you because you live in another country. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought ease because Imagine my husband after two weeks of paternity had to go back to work and I was all on my own. Imagine. Mm. Oh, I would have had full-on postpartum depression. I'll tell you that now. But even that, the timing, he said, you know what, Sai, you'll have a baby, but in COVID, so you have at least a little bit of support. Look, like his timing, his timing, trust in it. Mm. Definitely, subhanAllah. Um, yeah, I forgot to ask you in the beginning, you know, when we were talking about people asking personal questions, uh, what, what advice would you give to like how to answer or go about these questions, especially when you're dealing with infertility? You know what, honestly, grow a pair, seriously, grow a pair, have some thick skin and, and be direct. If they are comfortable enough to be direct with you to say, oh, don't you want kids? What's going on? You're waiting so long. Da, 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 da. Do you have a problem? Look them dead in the eye and say to them something direct, like um, I'm uncomfortable with you asking me that question, right? Or that's a really personal thing to ask me. Or if you really want to be, be direct, be honest. Say, make dua for me because actually I'm going through a lot right now and I don't wish this on anybody, right? But I would hit direct with direct and I, and I would just be, be upfront. And I, oh, but I can't say that to my auntie. I can't say that. Okay, but it's okay for them to make you feel shame and sink within yourself. No, it's not. This is called boundaries, right? I'm uncomfortable sharing that with you. Please don't ask me a question like that. You can have boundaries and be respectful. Yeah, you can have boundaries and be respectful. I would absolutely. And if you feel um, uncomfortable with communication boundaries, because some of those examples are what we call communication boundaries, then make it a physical boundary. If you know that you have a certain auntie that makes you feel uncomfortable and you don't really get on with her or she puts you down or whatnot, have a physical boundary. 
Islam says not to break the ties of kingship. It doesn't say be bum chumps. There's a difference. Notice the language. Don't break it. Not maintain it really strongly. Eid, Ramadan, Assalamu alaikum, how are you? Don't put yourself in the position where you are in a situation where they have the capacity to ask you that. So, for example, stay next to your husband or stay next to your sister or keep the conversation light and generic. And when you hear things starting to get deep or whatnot, exit the room or limit the amount of times you see that person. If it means protecting your emotional health, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most compassionate. And maybe you just don't see be in the same room as that person as often as you usually are. Mm. So whether it's physical, emotional, mental, have those boundaries in place. Yeah. khair for that. Uh, last question. Any advice you'd have for women, you know, going through her struggling with infertility, any advice? I know this whole time you've given so many nuggets <laughs> of wisdom, mashallah, but like, a message, I guess, of hope and, um, mm. you know, just just reassuring them that, inshallah, you know, they'll, Allah's timing, like you reminded us, is, you know, perfect. And we need to put in the effort, of course, but ultimately know that, you know, when Allah decides, for him, it's kun fayakun, you know. Yeah. Uh, I would say balance. Balance, balance, balance. And what do I mean by that? I mean the tawakkal and the tying the camel. You know, some sisters, they sit back, oh, tawakkal, it's all what Allah's written for me, but they don't pull their finger out and assess logically what they need to do. And then the flip side of that is they're focused so much on the doing, right, on, on the things that they need to do that they're not um, addressing their emotional relationship and connection with Allah and tawakkal. Mm. And we there needs to be a balance of both, like a real balance of both. And to get there, I fully and wholeheartedly believe that it requires inner work. It, it does. Honestly, it does. It, it, because as soon as you start the inner work, as I said earlier about the evidence and the legs, you've got a leg on your table. What's different? What's different about this time? This time I'm doing the inner work. It's already an evidence that you can give your brain that this time is different. Um, so so I would definitely um I would definitely really encourage the balance between tawakal and and tying your camel. But also um reach out to people who have gone through um, a similar experience, but be mindful of your information diet. If you want to get married and you're following wedding dress pages on Instagram and Muslim couples and photographers and this and that, how is that going to make you feel? Mm. Seriously, put it on mute or unfollow because yeah. you don't want this stuff coming up on your feed because if you see a woman and she's lost her baby at X amount of time, or you see a woman who's done IVF and she's failed three times or seven times or ten times, and you see that, that 
is your information diet. Your, that is your representational system is going to hold on to that and keep it, right? And, and on a, whether it's consciously or unconsciously. And so when you go to do IVF, your conscious or unconscious mind is going to remember what's happened or what you've read or what you've saw or what you've heard. And you're going to have self-doubt. You're going to lose the belief that it will work for you by default because you've been exposed to so many situations where it hasn't worked. And people always share the negatives, right? No one's, there are so many situations where people have done Clomid, bam, worked every time on the money. There have been so many situations where um, women have done IVF, mashallah, first time, every time, bang, 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 works perfectly. Yeah. But there are also women that do IVF and they can't retrieve any eggs. By you absorbing this information, this negative information, right? Whether you realize it or not, you're going to, it's going to create an anxiety within you when you go down your fertility route, right? Because you're going to go, you can go into IVF with and Clomid with so much hope, or you can go into it with, but it doesn't always work. Oh my God, what if they can't get eggs? Da, 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 which is going to be counterproductive. So be mindful of your information diet. Mm. But then what happens when they are actually, po- like they are positive going into it, but then a defeat happens and then they need to, you know, because they've built so high expectation of this and then it just comes crashing down. But, but this is what I mean about like, being mindful of the expectation as well, right? Expectation of motherhood, expectation of fertility, right? We, it's, it's not, it's not unheard of. Your doctor will tell you this might not work, that you might have difficulties and you need to see it as small milestones, right? IVF isn't just a one day thing, right? You've got your, your meds, then you've got the retrieval, then you've got this, then you've got that. Every time is a win. If you get to the end of IVF and you're not pregnant, but you manage to retrieve eggs, mashallah, that's fab. That's excellent. That is so great. You've got to celebrate everything as a win. Self-belief and um, perfectionist fantasy expectations are two very different things. I'm not saying develop a perfectionist fantasy. I'm not saying to have high expectations. What I'm saying is address the, the emotion so that you can go at this from a place of logic, right? hopeful self-belief but also logical right and so when we are exposed to negative story after negative story after negative story which there's negative stories and positive stories and everything what i'm what i don't want is for that to impact your self-belief your self-worth whether you feel like your body is capable no there's no guarantee that anything will work whether it's clomid ivf there is also every possibility that it will work, right? You need to focus on what is in your control, like all of the things that we spoke about during this this call, right? And um, and and one of the things that you are in control of, whether you realize it or not, is the level of self belief that you have, right? The level of self belief that you have in your body's ability to do this, mm-hmm. right? that's very different to having poor expectations or high expectations, mm, you know, definitely. hope that and makes also, sense. Yeah. And also like if you are taking the means, um, then, you know, having that hope that uh, Allah knows that you're taking the means, you know, exactly. 
even more of a reason for him to give you what you really want. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. And and give back during the process. You know, it's interesting because giving makes us feel ease and happiness, right? So let's say that you're you're in line for a coffee, right? And there's an old man in front of you and he wants a latte, right? And you know, you know that tomorrow is your egg retrieval. Well, you know tomorrow you're going for your scan to see if climate work worked. Have the intention, Ya Allah, I can't give you, I can't feed you, I can't clothe you, I can't help you. You are the helper. You are the feeder, feeder. You are the you are the sustainer. But by me giving and nurturing your creation for your sake, it's a win. Pay for that man's coffee. Have the, Ya Allah, I am going to pay for this man's coffee. Wallahi for you. That's between me and you. Not for him to, he'll be happy, inshallah. But let the joy I bring to him, Ya Allah, please, I ask you for ease tomorrow, inshallah. I ask you for good news. Beautiful little dua, give to the people without expecting back because you're not giving to them. You're giving to Allah, but obviously we know we can't give to Allah, right? So that that's 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 one of the best things you when you see four cars in front of you they're not letting someone in stop let the guy in even if you're in a rush do it with the intention you know what ya allah i brought ease to his situation no one's letting him in ya allah i'm doing this for you please help me on my journey you know it's a it's a god consciousness it's a state of mind it's a state of being be in connection with allah throughout the whole process right expect good of Allah, right? But when you have self-doubt and you feel like maybe this, maybe that, and the what-ifs, but if you can just do good for the insan with the hope, right, and and that, and that it builds your self-belief, Allah's got me. And I know Allah's got me because he's guided me to do good things like letting this man through, paying for this bloke's coffee. Mm. Yeah. Be in a good state, a state of being. Remain in, in, in God consciousness, a state of God consciousness throughout the whole process. That's such a beautiful way of ending this uh, topic. And there's so much more that I would love to, you know, discuss with you about motherhood and, you know, the whole process of giving birth and all these, the mother wound that comes up and all of that. Um, inshallah, if the viewers are interested, then maybe we can persuade her to come for in for a part. Yeah, three. yeah, yeah. No problem, inshallah. I'd love to be back. It's been really good to talk to you. And, you know, I, I am re really vulnerable on my page at Embrace Coaching for Women. I try my best. I don't always have time, especially now as a new mom, but I try my best to be vulnerable and to share these things on my page, right? Because um, hope can take us, a, a, you know, hope is massive. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to have hope. So have hope and, you know, um, inshallah, we can connect again and inshallah, inspire more people. Inshallah. With that said, barakallah feek, jazakallah khair for coming on and take care. I'll see you next time. Assalamu alaikum. Inshallah. Assalamu alaikum.